1: Welcome to the Dacus Report. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. On today's show, we're going to interview uh, an individual who is uh, going to bat for people who uh, were really being persecuted in the state of Texas. And in particular, a school board trustee uh, who has uh, been harassed by his peers and uh, stood, he stood up for truth. We're going to talk about how that turned out how his free speech rights were violated, and what we at Pacific Justice Institute did to make a real difference. But before we do that, I'd first like to talk to our attorney out of our Sacramento office, uh, one of our lead attorneys uh, coordinating litigation for Pacific Justice Institute, attorney Matt McReynolds. Welcome, Matt. I'm glad to have you on the show.
2: Brad, always good to be on with you.
1: Now, Matt, um, you've been working on a really interesting case involving a, uh, a veteran who served more than 30 years um, as a doctor, and uh, he was, uh, I understand, just suddenly reassigned. Uh, just this last month, our attorneys took his case uh, to trial. Uh, what can you tell us about this client, and why are we fighting for his rights?
2: Yeah, well, thanks for the opportunity, Brad, because I think this case is so important. Um, As you mentioned, we represent this physician within the VA system who had worked in in Southern California and the Loma Linda facility for about 30 years. And during that time, he provided just outstanding service to the veterans who were part of that health system. And so in the summer of 2021, uh, late July, The VA, like a lot of other governmental entities, came out with a vaccine mandate. And when they did that, our client, uh, who was very, very knowledgeable about uh, vaccines, about health, as well as a person of deep faith, submitted a religious accommodation request like many of our other clients have done. And so, Brad, what was unusual about this situation is that the VA said they were granting his accommodation request But within a week, he was reassigned from the position he'd had seeing some patients for more than 20 years and put in a windowless office far away from his patients, no longer involved in patient care, and supervised by a nurse who had no qualifications to even be his supervisor.
1: Okay. So he served a long time, our veterans, uh, very sacrificially for about, well, more than 30 years. And he's suddenly reassigned uh, because he was not vaxxed, and he requested a religious accommodation. Now, they I want to make make this really clear for the record: they did not dispute his sincerely held religious beliefs, did they? They acknowledged that, didn't they?
2: Yeah, not uh, not at all, Brad. So what they did was was very very underhanded. They actually have taken the position. That the reassignment the week after he submitted his requested accommodation, which came completely out of the blue, had uh, no uh, connection to his accommodation. It was completely coincidental that he was being involuntarily reassigned.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it just so happens the week after making his request for a reasonable accommodation, uh, they suddenly reassign him, and it just just so happened to be a coincidence. I. Uh, You know they're obviously being a bully, and this is uh, you know I think people understand this is the the federal government he's working for, right? The Veterans Administration.
2: Uh, Yeah, that's absolutely right.
1: Okay, so once again, federal government uh, engaging these kind of uh, bullying tactics. Uh, He was he was not uh, it was not denied that he had sincerely held religious beliefs, and and they have an obligation to reasonably accommodate people. Under Title VII, who have sincere religious convictions against getting and taking a very controversial uh, COVID vac- vaccination, right?
2: They do, Brad. And that's why, as we fought these cases, we've seen some really interesting variations on the theme. Some employers have really stepped in it by outright denying any type of accommodations. Other employers, like this one, and, and a few others, were litigating against as well have taken a position, oh, we're granting your accommodation, but next thing you know, that employee is either fired or reassigned to a very undesirable position. It's clearly retaliation.
1: Yeah, and they're not allowed to retaliate, right? When, they, when someone seeks an accommodation, the case law is really clear there regarding Title VII that uh, if, if, if they have sincerely have religious beliefs and uh, then they're required to give reasonable accommodation – And they can't punish them in any way. I I know of a case matter we're involved in where uh, the employer has decided, well, yeah, if you're not vaccinated, then you don't get this little perk, this benefit over here. has nothing to do with the job. They just want to punish people who aren't vaxxed. And and they can't, I want to make it really clear, legally they can't do that, can they?
2: Absolutely not, Brad. And and not only that, but the courts have said consistently through the decades that when an adverse action, firing, a reassignment or other adverse action follows closely on the heels of protected activity like a request for accommodation, there is an inference of retaliation.
1: Yeah. And so I think that's on, uh, on his side. Uh, you know, we have Pacific Justice, we're representing this doctor. Uh, What explanation did the VA give uh, for this reassignment? What was their explanation? So, So
2: this is pretty remarkable too, Brad, because, you know, in a lot of these types of cases, what you typically hear is an employer trying to invent new reasons for why an employee had to be reassigned, such as, uh, or, or terminated for that matter, you know, well, they were a bad employee for this, that, or the other reasons. They did the opposite in this case, Brett. They actually said, you know, he was such a good uh, employee, a good doctor. He had such a unique skill set. We just really needed him over in this other quality department doing paperwork and away from his patients, just because he was so skilled and he was so good, that's why we had to reassign him, involuntarily. Um,
1: <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to fit that in my logical machine here, my brain, and I just nothing's coming out here. I, so they sense that he's so qualified and so good, we're going to put him over here in this little cubby hole, so to speak. Um, does that does that hold water at all? I don't think it doesn't seem I think like it so, does. Brad.
2: And, and no, I don't. I don't think so at all. Because as we dug into this and we got a lot of the documentation, you know, we we did the usual procedures to get this what's known as written discovery, like interrogatories and requests for production of documents. We were able to see that they have almost never done this type of adverse action to another physician at that facility. It's just, it's unprecedented. And so, for them to do this and in violation of their own procedures, what typically would happen if they feel like they need someone over in another department is it's just common sense. They ask first for volunteers to see if anybody would like to go do this other position. They have conversations with their physicians about their skill sets. They never did any of that in this situation.
1: So their standard operating procedure is really clear. If uh, there's something that opens up in another department, they let everyone know, hey, does anyone want to move over to this other department, right? That's their consistent pattern, right?
2: And when we asked them about those written procedures, Brad, they had never even looked at them before they pulled the trigger on reassigning um, our, our physician.
1: Wow. So they have, they have an established practice, though, of how they did it. And here they they didn't follow the established practice, and they didn't even look at the the rules on how to to do that, the, what their their procedure is. Uh, and then you, you found this out through requesting documents. I sort of want to dig into this area a little bit because I want people to understand um, how much work is involved in getting this kind of information. Uh, you know to to dig deep and dig, dig deeper and deeper. Uh, to, to really find out uh, how things are working, so uh, you uh, you gave them a request for for documents. Uh, what happened when you did that?
2: Well, it was quite a battle, Brad, to to get those documents from them. It took took several months, but we eventually did get uh, hundreds and hundreds of documents, um, uh, well over a thousand pages worth of documents that uh, we had to to wade through, and our you know our. our Support staff here helped us to do that as well. Uh, we did took depositions of some of their key witnesses, like the medical center director, the direct supervisors, and we also uh, sent them what's known as interrogatories to get answers to specific questions, requests for admissions, um, all of those those things. And and yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It's it's time intensive. Uh, it takes a lot of of energy and effort, but in, in the end, we think it's going to be well um, well worth it. And it laid the groundwork for what just happened uh, earlier this month, which was the three day evidentiary trial we had.
1: Yeah, so so this is, uh, has been a lot of work involved in this case. Uh, you once again, you got over a thousand documents that you had to go through, and we I've seen this tactic before where. You know, they, they don't want you really to find what, they're, what you're looking for. So sometimes they'll just overweight uh, the plaintiff, or in this case, you know, our client, uh, overweight them with just tons and tons of documents, sometimes stacks and stacks of information uh, to make it just really difficult for you to go through it and, and on a timely basis because you have time deadlines, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and Brad, to that point, you know, just earlier today, I was talking to another one of our attorneys who's got uh, 10,000 pages worth of documents to go through. in one of his cases, another attorney, you know, about that, that same level in one of his cases. So this is this, this is true of, of our attorneys spread all across the country. This is what's happening behind the scenes um, as folks are listening to us today.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's intensive. Uh, the the other side is very hostile. Oftentimes, the other side is, in this case, is the government. Uh, so it's not like they're being reasonable public servants, and just you know helping us you know find the information that we're seeking as we're representing our clients, uh, like this gentleman who served so long. They really make it difficult. And I think it's also important. You noted something else, and that is your you, you know we're not going it alone. I you know sometimes there's attorneys out there have their little office here or maybe a part time charity. Uh, you know, nonprofit here, and they're their full pro- pro- uh, profit uh, office, um, and they sort of, they sort of go it alone. And when they go it alone, we can see how they're easily just bombarded and just overweighted and can't really represent the client. One thing I like about us at Pacific Justice is we've got 31 offices in 24 states. Our attorneys work together, uh, synchronize, assist each other. You know, if someone's having a, a problem if they're being overwhelmed on the left flank, boom, attorneys on our staff go to help that attorney on the right flank, boom, they'll go to help that attorney on the right flank on the litigation. And it really helps a lot because we can then take on cases against the attorney generals of, you know, of different states. Uh, we, you know, we're not overpowered because we have this kind of a real tight, cohesive team uh, working together. And I'm, I'm really glad that, Uh, you pointed that out. Uh, Matt, thank you for the great work that you're doing. Uh, Keep it up and God bless.
0: Did you know that PJI preserves students' rights to share their faith and protects them from indoctrination? We also provide free resources to help promote evangelism within the public schools and educational resources to give parents legal advice for choosing an alternative to public education. Keep current on the educational landscape by signing up for our Legal Insider email newsletter at pji.org. Now, back to the Dacus Report.
1: Welcome back. I'd now like to welcome to the program attorney Emily Cook, who heads up our office there in Houston, Texas. Uh, Emily, welcome to the show.
3: Hi, Brad. How are you all?
1: Doing, doing, uh, doing well. And uh, it's so glad to have you all on our team there uh, at our, in our Houston office. Um, you know, you've got a lot of experience behind you, you're very uh, seasoned as an attorney. And I know that uh, the people in Texas are going to be well-served uh, to have you and our other attorney there, uh, Naomi, uh, uh, actively engaged in going to bat for Texans. Many people think, Emily, that if they live in Texas, they don't have to worry about anything. You know, this is Texas, level-headed people. Well, that's not the case, is it? We've got some problems. In fact, you've got a case you're working on now out of uh, McKinney, Texas, uh, give us an update on what's going on what's what's happening in that case
3: absolutely yeah i mean everyone has to be diligent i mean they're the trans agenda anti-christianity i mean that that every every time we even allow it an inch um it's there the foothold takes in, and we've seen that happening in mckinney um on the B- mckinney isd school the school board there and there's been for the last several years there's been a huge um an, a, an ongoing struggle between conservatives and the administration of their school district And mckinney is a, a pretty a fairly large school district um, urban area in the Dallas Fort Worth metroplex, and um, the conservatives were successful in uh, electing a, trust, a particular trustee, Chad Green, two years ago, and he's been an, an outspoken critic um, of uh, horrible books in the library that should not be there. Um, no, when, when you say when
1: you say horrible books, we're talking about things that are, you know, leftist, uh, radical LGBTQ uh, material, possibly woke material. I mean. The kind of stuff that the average mom and pop out there doesn't want their child to be exposed to,
3: right? Absolutely, and what you and I would call porn, right? I mean, it's just and they're in our in the library shelves. And uh, Mr. Green has been, I mean, he's been viciously attacked. I mean, he is um, from those uh, from the leftists who and and who include the Satanic temp- Temple members, of the Satanic Temple, which is what we were fighting against yesterday, um, and through. They, they filed gr- complaints the Texas Elections Commission on Mr. Green and some of his friends, which were actually just dismissed today. So we've had two PJIs had two victories um, in the last twenty four hours on behalf of uh, Mr. Green, and uh, we're very we're very, very proud of those. Um, last night he had been fighting some grievances. The school board is trying to use um, this grievance process that's usually reserved for employees and um, yeah, well employees of the school district and parents to air grievances against employees um, on behalf of their children. Well, the board is allowing this grievance process for parents or interested community members to bring that against Mr. Uh, Mr. Green, and it's all political theater. I mean, the whole point of these um, grievances are so that the uh, board can censure Mr. Green, and that his opponents can use that in the next election cycle to say, "The McKinney ISD board censured um, Chad, Trustee Chad Green uh, to confuse the average voter."
1: No, they're, they're talking At about. Line- no, they're talking about. I, I, I want to make sure I, I get some some my questions in here as you're going because this is a sure. lot of information, Emily. So. Uh, what we're, so we're looking at the school board member. He's done nothing wrong that an objective observer would say was wrong. Uh, you know, he didn't embezzle money. He didn't, you know, g- give information to the Russians or whatever. I mean, uh, he was uh, just simply speaking out against garbage that was in the public school library. This is So he's an advocate of the parents, uh, the overwhelming... Majority of the parents probably in that community bringing up concerns that the average parent would have. Uh, and so he's being attacked uh, by the others. Now, I like to think that the McKinney School Board, you know, it's in a conservative part of town. You know, I went to school at Plano Senior High uh, myself. Plano is just south of McKinney. You know, it's all north of Dallas. But it's in that same area. McKinney is a cons- conservative area. And yet my understanding is, though, you've, they've got members on that school board of trustees uh, that are are not pro-parents. They're not conservative. Uh, they're puppets of the teachers' union, I understand. And so basically the bottom line, that's why they're hostile towards him, because he's blowing the lid and letting parents know about the garbage that that school district is cramming down the minds and throats uh, of those children. So this uh this is taking place these complaints have been filed right uh, mm-hmm. by the parents i guess they about this uh, t- this teacher and uh, so let's go through the the legal framework if we can uh, about uh, with regards to this uh, complainant uh, this this grievance that was filed by one of these uh, parents, uh, as you pointed out uh, this uh, this uh, individual uh, has some pretty uh controversial backgrounds, uh, you mentioned a satanic temple, right?
3: Right. And and the whole point of th- the main problem or, or complaint that this gentleman had against Trustee Green was that um, Trustee Green referred to his child as his transgender daughter instead of son. That saying, transgender daughter, was so... Uh, no, this is a child who was born female, okay, and um, that, that that was such an affront and put he, the, the her child in so much danger and scared because he, Trusty Green, called, referred to that child as a transgender daughter, Mr. Steele's transgender transgender daughter instead of his son. Okay, the, the, so that's what we had so, hearing about.
1: so because he used biology and didn't play into this this uh false narrative because he said referred to this person this this child as a as a female as a which that's who the child is that's that's his daughter she was born a female looks like a female um still probably looks like a female uh, every cell in her body says she's a female uh You know, I just don't see that as a as a big issue. Was he didn't like harass the girl and say, "This girl is is uh, is sick or messed up or or use any pejoratives uh, to demean the girl at all or or the family, right?
3: No, and that's important to point out is this wasn't a secret. This was something. This is a family who is a very vocal trans LGBTQ activist family, and they are they rating their child around as transgender. So they're, they're, they could claim no privacy on this issue. Um, and at the school, I mean, <laughs> because we use different pronouns than they would be preferred, uh, we had to have this huge hearing. There were 10 police officers, because these Christian parents and school, Christian school board trustee and his friends are so dangerous that we've got to have 10 police officers for security at the school board meeting. Wait, and You said
1: 10 police officers? Yes. To combat parents, Christian parents, and this one school board member, they have to have 10 police officers out there. That is such a slap in the face of, of yep. Christian parents. We're not the violent ones. We're not the ones that throw rocks and shoot bullets at people in private schools. Um, So I, I, you know, shame on McKinney police department, shame on the the majority of the school board members. Uh, So what, what happened
3: next? Well, we had the hearing. um, Well, first of all, the school district was trying to deny Mr. Green, the ability to have this grievance hearing um, held in public. And we PJI, we argued with for about the last week and a half uh, with the school district council um, about that Mr. Green had a right to request and have that request honored under the Texas Open Meetings Act for this grievance hearing to be held in public. I mean, because it was tr- juvenile, the complaints were ju- are, were about Facebook posts. This man was complaining um, about. Facebook posts and testimony before the Texas legislature that the school board trustee, Mr. Green, had made. This, it had, this did not rise to the level to warrant anyone's attention, much less a full-blown, top-level uh, grievance process at the school board. And our client, rightly so, wanted the details of how ludicrous this was, and so that he could have some sort of accountability um, to not be railroaded, um, and have it held in open session. So we had to um, we had to argue we had pJ and I had to threaten litigation. Um, I told opposing counsel, I think Wednesday, um maybe Wednesday afternoon last week. Uh, real,
1: real quickly. Uh, we have a little just a limited amount of time left. Uh, what's the next step on this this matter that uh, in your representation?
3: We are um, there are some parents that have some ongoing um, Disputes similar uh, with the school district and we're looking at combining um, possibly working on some of those cases and then additionally they violated the open meetings act. There was a couple instances where they did go into executive session and excluded Mr. Green um, and we we told them what you did was illegal and so we might uh, we are looking at next steps for violations of the open meetings act to prevent further um from this becoming the norm for that school board
1: well i appreciate what you're doing emily uh you know you're 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 putting forth a lot of time uh, and going to bat for for chad green once again folks a fantastic man a parents rights advocate uh he cares about the kids he loves the kids and he's being persecuted because he's doing his job go figure emily god bless you and Keep up the great work uh, as you move ahead uh, for for justice.
0: We would love the opportunity to continue to serve you. Just visit pji.org and click the Legal Insider button to sign up for our email newsletter. At PJI, we help individual employees, employers, business owners, pastors, students, citizens of every stripe through our practical resources, counsel, representation, and defense all free of charge at pji.org pji is an island of stability and assurance in our ever-churning sea of legal and societal chaos we are here for you so folks just remember
1: it's our god-given freedoms we're talking about now let's choose to keep them i'm brad dacus president of the pacific justice institute let's continue the fight
0: for your freedoms